Hey, welcome to the Church on Boulevard Sermons Podcast, an extension of the ministry of Church on Boulevard in Richmond, Virginia. We hope that you'll find your time meaningful and that you'll live life to the fullest as we grow together. Welcome, everybody, to the Church on Boulevard podcast. This week is not so much a sermon recorded from our Sunday service, but more of a conversation with some leaders from our teaching team at the church. So just wanted to give us a second to introduce ourselves. Uh, Why don't we go around and just share our name and our connection with the church? I'm Drew, and I will be hosting us today. I'm church planter and pastor of Church on Boulevard and excited to share in our conversation. Yeah, and I'm Paige. I'm Drew's wife and I guess co-church planter slash worship leader slash uh, whatever role that I need to play on any given day. Amen. (laughs) Amen. God bless you. Um, My name is Derek. I'm one of the people on the teaching team here at Church on Boulevard. I help out in any way I can. I just love bringing the gospel to bear on the community that's done so much to help me and my family recover, you know, from church hurt Mm -hmm. and deconstruction and a lot of the things that I'm sure you're experiencing out there listening to this. Yeah. So we are just kicking off this podcast. This is episode two and it is going in parallel with our sermon series right now. We're in a sermon series on uh, a rule of life. And that's for some of us, a new concept. It is uh, rooted in the ancient monastic tradition, um, but a rule of life can be a bit confusing to our modern ears. It actually comes from the Latin word regula, which means a straight piece of wood <laughs> or a ruler. So less like uh, setting rules for our life in a dogmatic religious sense and more a pattern or model or example for our life so that we can live intentionally the way God calls us to live. The reason that we're engaging a rule of life together this summer is we just feel like in our current cultural climate, we are looking for something to root us in our faith. Um, And a rule of life has been a tool used by the church for centuries to do just that, root them root people in their faith uh, with God in their daily life. So one author puts it this way, and I think this is a helpful definition. A rule of life then serves as a gentle guide that keeps you trained toward God. It differs from goals, intentions, or resolutions that we tend to set for ourselves. Those methods are task-based and measurable, and they're often focused on what we do. So like smart goals focused on what we do and how we measure those goals. Nothing wrong with that, but a rule of life on the other hand helps you not so much do, but become. It's more focused on character. And we're gonna talk a little bit more about that in the category of relationships today. Uh, A rule of life is just a series of several simple statements. You can almost think of them as like life mission statements in the categories of your job and your work, your social relationships, your faith life, your physical body and physical health, um, your mental and emotional well-being. And and as we look at this holistically, uh, we create these simple statements that we try to live into, not perfectly, but as faithfully as possible while fostering uh, within ourselves an integrated and embodied life 
of faith. Paige and Derek, do you guys want to add to that at all? I, I have nothing to add as far as the definition. I think that was great. But I think if you're listening and you're like, I think I get it. I sort of get it. I'm still not really sure what a rule of life is. Um, mm. I think that's normal to feel that way at this point because we're just kind of starting with the categories that we want to address in our rule of life. And then later in the summer, as we move through the series, that's when we're going to drill down on actually how do we put together a rule of life? What does it look like? What does it sound like? How do we live into it? So it's okay if it's a little fuzzy right now. Uh, we're just starting with reflection that's going to move us towards a rule of life. Yeah, I would love to add in that Paul urges us in scripture to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure out of Philippians chapter two. And I think for a lot of us, when we think about our salvation, we love that it's all God, it's all Christ, it's all grace through faith that we are saved. But a lot of us also freeze there, you know, the frozen chosen and what's my role in salvation. And so instead of staying on milk, um, like it warns us in Hebrews, how do we actually graduate to solid food without comparison, envy, jealousy, backbiting, mm -hmm. excessive anger, bitterness, and all the warnings that we see in scripture? And I love a rule of life because it helps us to do that. I think a lot of people think that being a Christian is becoming a better person by some other standards, like how kind am I? Does my personality need to shift? Mm -hmm. uh, we hear about being submissive. We hear about different terms and they rub us the wrong way. They're grossly misunderstood. And we look at the people around us for the standard instead of Christ himself. Mm -hmm. And so I love the rule of life because it lifts up Jesus because we are transformed from one degree to another by beholding Christ. And I think that's the significance of crafting a, a rule of life. Well said. <laughs> well said, Derek. <laughs> uh, well, and here's what I, uh, I'll say on that too. Dallas Willard has this phrase, and I think you're getting at this, Derek, that grace is opposed to earning, but it's not opposed to effort. In other words, God mm. gives us his grace. He just gives it to us. So we don't have to do anything to earn our salvation or right standing with God. He's done all of that for us through Jesus Christ. That's what we believe, you know, historically in the church. But, but do we want to just be people that essentially like pray some prayer and have a ticket into heaven? I'm sure God won't turn us away <laughs> if we put our like trust in him, but putting our trust in God a biblical understanding of that is it should come with transforming the way we actually live our life. But God doesn't always just like flip the light switch for us. He's wired us um, as creatures of habit. And so we have to reshape our habits in order to start living into this full, flourishing, abundant life that Jesus talks about. And a rule of life is a tool to help reshape those habits while also not becoming uh, so focused on uh, perfection and doing the right things. Yeah, it reminds me of one time a few years ago in our marriage, Drew and I went to go see a counselor together uh, for marriage counseling. And we were sharing some dynamics that were going on. And we were like, but we feel like this is normal, right? Like this is normal for married couples to experience this. And I remember that counselor was like, yeah, it's normal, but do you want to be normal? Like, do you want to just be average? Do you want to just like live like everybody else is? Because there's so much more that you could be living into 
why not go for that? So I think that's true. It's like, if we stop at the salvation point, it's like, yeah, that's fine. That's great. But like, what about all of the richness that we could be living into and the abundant life that we could be experiencing that we might not be tapping into yet? That's right. That's right. And I think the local church has a really good handle on this in terms of personal devotion Mm. and private and secret devotion. I think people generally feel a level of conviction or a level of condemnation for their degree of Bible reading habitually or their degree of tithing or their degree of fasting or prayer. But I think what we're talking about with the rule of life is how do you work this out in community? And so your sanctification isn't something that you have to work out in fear and trembling by yourself, but it's like, we're working, we're working together, we're working on one another, Mm -hmm. and God is working through each member of the body differently. And that's really beautiful because we all have blind spots. Like you just said in your wonderful example about your marriage, it took you laying your marriage open and transparent with someone else for them to look in and speak into that. And I think that can often uh, be something that's missing. I think that's such a great segue into our topic today, which is relationships. Yeah, so here's how we're going to go about this. Let me lay the framework very basically for how we're going to move forward over the next 10 weeks with this podcast series and as well as our sermon series at Church on Boulevard. And then Derek, I'm going to hand it right over to you to address uh, our topic today and some of our questions that we're exploring, um, essential questions that we'll be exploring. So here's the process that we're going to follow. The end goal is this rule of life, these uh, holistic statements, just like we talked about. We're starting, though, these first uh, four to five weeks just doing some self-inventory. Are we where we think God has called us to be at this point? And if you're listening along, we're going to walk you through this so that you'll hear through uh, Derek, Pages, and my voices and some others along the way. And hopefully you can find your own story in that and begin to develop your own uh, rule of life. And then the second half of the series, so the the last kind of like five weeks, we're going to move into crafting those intentional statements to live from, how we use our time how we use and engage our relationships, our physical body, our money, and our gifts and talents. So that's the whole frame of where we're going. And we're starting self-inventory on relationship roles today. So Derek, why don't you kick us off and uh, address some of the essential questions? Yeah, I think generally when we think about this, we're looking at our primary relationships those relationships that we are most influential on in terms of our sphere or circle of influence, and then those relationships that shape us. I think Drew in one of his sermons said something like, you're the sum total of your X number of best friends. I forget that quote. I think, I think statistically, and I don't, I don't know the exact research on this, uh, but it seems like there's general consensus or maybe it's, you know, urban legend, but five, <laughs> your five closest friends, you end up reflecting over the course of your life. Yeah, in my life, I've definitely developed whole languages with friends. So I've certainly seen the effects where I just kind of code switch into this zone when I'm around certain people uh, versus others. And so when we consider the relationships that matter most to us, we need to consider the role that we fulfill. And I gave the example in my sermon on Sunday about being the husband to a wife, the uncle to my nieces and nephews, and a teacher to dozens of different students. 
But this only becomes more complicated because we actually have to fulfill multiple roles and sometimes simultaneously within a single relationship. And I gave the example that my wife is also my best friend, but also a part-time nemesis. (laughs) And that for my nieces and nephews, I also want to mentor them but I also am very interested in their post-K-12 path. Mm-hmm. Like, are they going to go with college as an option? Maybe they're interested in different types of pursuits. And then, of course, my students, if, you know, if you're in education, you're a part-time parent, you're a rapper, you're a coach, mm-hmm. you have all these skills. I run a fishing club. I'm also an advisor. You run a fishing so club? Be, How did I not I know do. this? <laughs> <laughs> Is there a pond at your school? Like, where do you guys go to fish? <laughs> We'll take that off. <laughs> <I'll tell you laughs> no one else, I guess, needs to know about it. Wow. <laughs> I do. And that's the thing that we do as teachers. I know that Paige as an educator knows what this is yeah. like. And so as you seek to kind of become all things to all people and you have to fulfill these multiple roles, how do you know which ones are life-giving versus which ones are draining? And sometimes you don't have a choice. Sometimes you have to be in the draining space. And so how do you keep that as a ministry Mm -hmm. instead of something that can become toxic? Mm. And so these are some of the things I was trying to raise up for us. And we took really nice swaths of time as a community to do what Drew said. We did self-inventory and we reflected. And I just want to read out those uh, brief categories that we use to kind of measure up our relationships and to consider the type of person we are. Uh, We looked at love, honesty, intimacy, mutuality, accompaniment, and listening. And those were some of the framework that we started to build around to consider how am I participating and how are others participating with me in relationship. I wonder if we could share a few of like, Derek, you mentioned some of the official roles that you play. There's also unofficial roles, and we'll get to that in a second. But in terms of official roles, uh, Paige, can you share just like some ways that you think about how you play different roles in people's lives and where sometimes those get more complex? Sure. Um, Obviously, I'm a wife and I'm mom to two children, Um, a daughter, a sister, friend. Um, I've recently transitioned out of the classroom. I was a teacher to sixth grade students. And now I'm, I guess, part-time church planter slash stay-at-home mom. So that shift of roles is really interesting. Um, And that's like a whole Mm -hmm. other topic to dig into another time. Um, But I definitely resonate with what you were saying, Derek, about playing different roles in the same relationship. Like it's, you see this as a teacher, but particularly as a parent, like just today, I was like recreation director for my children. They were throwing on summer breaks. Yeah, they're on summer break. They were throwing a birthday party Mm -hmm. for two bears in our house. And our our kids are six and four. So just in case that helps, it's not like we have an 18-year-old and a 23-year-old. Yeah, that's good context. (laughs) And Um, they're not real bears. These were stuffed animals. Stuffed animals. Two stuffed animal birthdays in our house today. So I was helping facilitate that birthday party. But then it's also like I have to like immediately transition at various points to like disciplinarian and That's right. um, and caretaker. Like Lux is our daughter who's four has had like a random fever on and off the last couple of days. So it is 
like learning how mm-hmm. to shift in and out of those roles is a part of life that can be really challenging. But I liked what you said, Derek, about sometimes those are draining and sometimes we have to do them anyway. Like I don't enjoy being disciplinarian to my kids. Um, that is a that is definitely like hard for my personality type and it's draining for me, but it's obviously so essential to their growth and development and to like the health of our family. So mm-hmm. I have to learn to work through that. And a lot of times it's my own issues and my own stuff that makes that hard. So processing that with the Lord has a big Mm. impact on my relationships and how I'm able to step into the roles that I have to serve on a daily basis. Yeah. And one thing that was helpful Mm -hmm. for me as I thought about this too, as I thought about roles is, you know, if you start listing out the primary relationships in your life and what role you play in those relationships, a couple other things come to your mind. One, you start realizing there's a lot of roles. Like if you think about it as hats that you wear, you put on a bunch of different hats throughout the course of a week, even a day, even sometimes within the hour. Sometimes you're wearing three hats at once. Like you said, Derek, like you're three different yep. people, three different roles at once to your child or whatever. The other thing that came to my mind though was I started asking myself the question, do these people perceive me as having this role in their mm-hmm. life? Because it's always a two-way street Mm -hmm. when you're engaging in relationships and it can sometimes be wise to ask people, hey, I perceive myself as playing this role in your life. Do you see that? That might not be as like necessary when it comes to our kids and us being their parents or like our spouse. Um, Hopefully we don't have to be like, hey, I see myself as your husband, Paige. (laughs) Like, do you see me as that? (laughs) We've agreed on that. Right. But... I think of uh, at work, this happens a lot for me. Am I, uh, so with my role as being the pastor of a church, am I showing up to someone as uh, their pastoral counselor? Am I showing up to someone as a friend? Am I uh, showing up to them as their boss or manager and or community organizer? They will have different expectations of me and I will have different expectations of them in whatever role that I think I'm showing up as and conversely, what role they think I'm in or playing for them. Yeah, I've definitely seen that, you know, and I'm interested in what you were saying before, Drew, about the unofficial relationships or the unofficial roles that we play. Can you say more about that? Yes. So this is a really fascinating one that Paige brought up to me. And Mm. so I'll say briefly what I think it is. And then Paige, why don't you speak to this more? But I found this really helpful because Paige was like, you know, in any like given situation, we have unofficial roles too. So for example, I have heard from so many people like, gosh, the burden in the room always falls on me to keep everybody happy. Like whenever I come into the room, I feel there's almost like this unstated people think that they have to show up. Uh, to just like general settings a certain way. Like I'm the funny guy. I guess I always got to be the funny guy. This can happen a lot if you've had like college relationships and then you go back to a reunion or whatever. You're like, oh shoot, I guess I got to be that guy again. And it's not like an official role like where you have a title. It's more of this like unofficial, like I'm this type of person around you. And that can sometimes feel uh, safe for us. It can sometimes feel confining Oftentimes it like starts off as something that feels safe and then we over time get bitter and resentful because we're like, why does everybody keep expecting me to act this way? But I've shown up this way so many times, people still expect me to be the funny guy Mm -hmm. or whatever it is. Yeah, 
I I think you see it a lot in family relationships. Like, you know, you hear people talk around Christmas time and the holidays and things like that, that, um, that they, it's like they get around their family or their extended family and all of a sudden they revert back to their like, you know, 16 year old version of themselves and they slip right back into these relational ruts uh, that you don't think about when you're off living your own life. But then when you are back in your childhood home, like sitting around the dining room table, like with all the same like jokes that Uncle Earl makes or whatever. Um, So I think that's like, that's like a clear, stark place where we notice it. But I think that we play these unofficial roles all the time in all kinds of relationships even if it's like in a friendship, you're like, I'm the one who's always listening to this person's problems. Like they are always complaining to me and I'm helping counsel them through their issues. But I don't necessarily feel like it's reciprocated because like that's just the role that I play. Um, it's little subtle things like that, that like you said, Drew, over time can lead to resentments that we might not be honest about, which impacts our intimacy with that person. And it's just good to be aware of, okay, these are the official roles that I play, you know, wife, mom, teacher, whatever. But I kind of fit into this relational mold that is a little harder to see and notice if you don't take time to self-reflect. Yeah. Yes. And I think that's exactly where crafting a rule of life comes in especially in the unofficial roles that we play. Because I think generally in the culture, we want to strip off a lot of these different norms and expectations, right? Mm. And so you can't expect me to. But as you guys said, these are some of our safest places. These are shaped by physical space. Like when I step into this environment, like my childhood church, there's Mm. expectations and traditions there of you can't wear jeans, Mm. you can't wear a hat, and you want to respect these cultural customs. You want to expect respect these religious traditions or what have you. And it can be very difficult then to kind of go upstream against that, even if your conviction or your belief in a particular season doesn't seem to agree. Because you're in your grandmother's house, mm-hmm. you're going to treat it a certain way because of how she's conditioned you for such a young age and because of love right. and because it's not your space, right? You're being hosted in a different space and that can totally shape who you are, which is critical. And like I, like you said, Paige, it won't change without intentionality. And that's why I think thinking about that and crafting a rule of life is much better than the do you, yes. you know, don't let anyone put any requirements or restraints on you. Just be yourself and you can kind of be yourself in every circumstance. I think this is much more loving because mm-hmm. there probably is a reason why grandma or this certain space operates in that way. Yes. In understanding that you can grow alongside of your family Mm -hmm. members and you don't have to revert to whatever golden stage they freeze framed you in. And usually it just takes one more question or one more moment of vulnerability where you tell your uncle something that you didn't know before, or they're using those same old jokes as a defense mechanism. Mm -hmm. And you can be get behind that by asking about their wife, Mm -hmm. right? Which as a child, I'm not going to ask my uncle about his wife, perhaps. Mm -hmm. But now that I'm also a husband, maybe I do attempt in some reverent way to meet him eye to eye and to care about the things that they're going through. You mentioned the phrase, you do you. And just going around 
and saying, I'm going to do whatever I want to do, when I want to do it, how I want to do it, based on how I feel, that might actually end up being very unloving in a lot of situations to others and to ourselves. And in that sense, it makes us inauthentic if we want to be people of love. That's exactly right. I, th- I think that that's exactly right. Yeah, I'm reminded. So I listened to this podcast called Dissect. And in there, they talk about different artists and they kind of do long form musical analysis. Well, I've been reintroduced to an artist named Lauren Hill. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Lauren Hill, when she was 22, she dropped this amazing album called The Miseducation of Lauren Hill. And part of what she explores in there that's relevant for us is how do you change the world? How do you change your world, right? Your sphere, your environment around you. And her conclusion as she works through this album is that you have to change yourself. The more in which you change, and she's a spiritual person, she believed in having a relationship with God, and she explored a lot of Abrahamic expressions of religion. And so in that, she was loved, she was cared for, and she found herself coming to self-revelation as a way then of going out and kind of being this urban apostle on the largest stage and sharing her experiences, her grief, her processing, her um, understanding of love with a larger audience. She was heavily critiqued for that. She spoke on this in interviews and she actually doesn't have a lot of albums or projects, but at a very young age, she was exploring that. And I think that's part of what we're all doing here as Christians. We're being transformed so that we might transform the world around us. And I'm reminded of what you said in your message um, last week, Drew, about us being sheep and about us having a shepherd and the shepherd being good. It's like, yeah, the first step is we're getting our stuff together. That's really important. We're getting ourselves together. We're doing self-inventory. We're introspecting. We're realizing that we are loved, but it doesn't just stop there. All because we're good isn't sufficient for the Christian life because we're also an apostolic people in the sense of being sent. Yes, We are a sent people out into a dark and dry and weary land where there isn't water and we have the living water, Mm -hmm. right? We have the bread of life. We have the light of the world. And so we're not giving that from a place of brokenness, but we're actually giving that from a place of overflow. And that's why I think it's really significant for us to consider the roles and relationships that we play, because what I would love to see is more overflow of the fruit of the gospel, Mm -hmm. his attributes and the likeness of Christ into those around me. And then of course, into the broader world, right? Out of the abundance Mm. of my heart, Mm. I would love to my mouth to speak in a way that actually resonates with people in terms of it's culturally relevant. You know, it's not an archaic faith that I'm living. And it's not also a faith that belongs to my parents or to other people inauthentically, Mm -hmm. but the work is being done inside of me, but also through me and into a world that needs it. Yes, yes, yes. And that leads right into our next uh, topic in the conversation, which is, so then how do we live in a healthy way or assess where there's unhealth? And one uh, sort of metric or, or a way that you tried to help us get our mind around this was drawing from David Binner and his five interrelated elements. You also added a sixth element uh, as you taught this past weekend at the church. And I think these elements are really helpful. Thinking in these categories can help us say, okay, if I am showing up in a role and this person's expecting me, how do I show up like 
in a healthy way. And we can identify how healthy we are by looking at some of these interrelated elements and evaluating like where we are. And this is part of the self-inventory that you created as well, and that's in the show notes. But Derek, could you go ahead and just list the different elements and your brief definitions of them? I thought that was helpful. And we can discuss a little bit of that um, just to talk about how we can do some self-inventory on the health of our primary relationships. Absolutely. The first one is love. I demonstrate unconditional love. Next is honesty. Mm -hmm. I tell the truth at some cost to myself. The third one is intimacy. I am vulnerable and let others in. Number four is mutuality. I practice reciprocal care. And so people show that they care for me and I also extend myself to others. Number five is accompaniment. I engage in your interests and your affinity. I'm not only inviting you to the things that I'm interested in, but I'll also watch and engage with the content and the shows and the things that you like. And number six was listening. I take time to make sure that you feel heard. Yeah, so that's the bar. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I, so just to give listeners uh, context, those were kind of like the things that were listed on a sheet of paper for us on Sunday during Derek's message. And we rated ourselves, was it one to five? One being like, I'm really <laughs> bad at this. And five, like, I'm amazing at this. Um, and I think it was so helpful and I would encourage people to go to the show notes and take time to in a journal or wherever to actually do that self-assessment because when we list those categories, love, honesty, intimacy, mutuality, et cetera, it can be like, Oh yeah. Like I'm a loving person. Like, Oh yeah. Like I'm a good listener. Um, yeah. Like I show up for people and reciprocate their investment in me. But the way that those self-assessment items were worded, it's not just like love. Like, I, oh, I do I demonstrate unconditional love that goes a little bit, the bar is a little bit higher than just like whatever you think of when you think of being loving. So I found it to be really helpful and really convicting because I was like, ooh, this is, I have some things that I need to grow in. And that gave specific language to the things that I want to process with God as like, okay, I've identified that this is an area where I'm weak. Help me to engage this. Help me to grow in this way. I think those six categories, love, honesty, intimacy, mutuality, accompaniment, and listening are very helpful too, just as a definition of healthy relationships. Because sometimes it can be unclear. People have different perceptions of what a healthy relationship is. You know, like if it's like, I just like to have fun with people. Like I just like to bring the party. Like we just hang out. Um, Then if that's like your idea in your mind of what a good relationship is, then this is helpful. Cause it's like, well, is there also intimacy? Is there also like mutual reciprocal care? Like, I just think it's helpful to really define what healthy relationships are because I don't think that we're always all on the same page. Yeah, do I ever let the other person pick out the movie (laughs) or decide what we're going to do that night? Or 
do I always say, well, I don't care whatever you want to do. And I need to step up and actually like pick the movie this time. Like, you know, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, I had a great conversation on Sunday when I was talking to uh, one of my friends there who was just saying, man, I really struggle with mutuality and accompaniment. And I said, yeah, those are my weakest areas too. And he's like, yeah, some people are just boring. (laughs) Some people, they're just talking and I don't care. And I'm like, yes, I know how you feel. And he's like, and that's part of why I don't share with people because I assume other people are like Mm -hmm. me and they don't care. You know, they're nodding along. They might ask a good question here or there, but then it just washes over. You know, it doesn't really seem like the relationship is going with any type of intention and directionality. And I think that's part of the benefit of doing this as well. As you understand your weaknesses, we often project our deficiencies, our flaws and things onto other people. And so if I'm not a truth teller, I don't expect other people to be telling me the truth. If I'm not loving people, right? Mm. If I don't want to accompany you, then of course I'm always lonely. Who's going to accompany me if I'm unwilling to accompany others, right? And so it kind of slices both ways, which led to some fantastic conversations, especially if we think about how would other people answer these on our behalf? Personally, I've seen this. I mean, Paige can attest to this. I, uh, when I'm in seasons where I'm being really critical of others, I'm also my worst self when it comes to any public mm-hmm. speaking role, any leadership role, because by the same measure that I dole out criticism in my own heart towards others, I res- I like project it onto them and almost receive it back in turn. Um, so like I'll be leading something and I'll be like, that was terrible. Everybody thought I was crazy and all stuff. And Paige is like, I was there. No one thought you were crazy. Wow. And uh, But it's how mm-hmm. I receive the moment. And so whatever roles we're playing in our relationships, if we aren't also doing some inventory with our own health in these relationships, we can make a lot of assumptions if we aren't healthy. I think it's good to point out like some people might be wondering, okay, if we're talking about a rule of life and we're talking about discipleship to Jesus and we're talking about, you know, some internal stuff, why are we starting with relationships? But I think a lot of times relationships can be the barometer for a lot of other deeper things that are happening internally that might be harder to see. It's kind of like, this is a really dumb example, but you know how, um, They say when you go to the dentist, like your teeth can actually tell a lot about like your overall health as a person, like your heart health and stuff, Mm -hmm. which is crazy to me. But, um, but yeah, it's kind of like relationships are like a often visible, tangible way to see some deeper dynamics that are happening in our spiritual lives that might need to be addressed. Um, But they're kind of like seeping out in our relationships. I think I have two types of conversations with people when it comes to relationships and sort of assessing the health of their relationships. There's one conversation where people feel totally overloaded. They've got super demanding jobs. They feel like, you know, texts, emails, social media, all that stuff is constantly demanding of them. And they're like, I don't even have time to be with the people who are my primary relationships, I feel like I'm just trying to keep all the plates spinning. I don't have like margin in my schedule for like a date night or to hang out with friends or to just be with my kids or whatever it is. Um, So they feel completely weighed down and overloaded and overwhelmed by all of the relational demands on them. 
The other conversation that I tend to have with people, sometimes in a different season of life, is that they feel so lonely and they have people who are kind of like on the periphery of their life. They might have like family members and then they might have acquaintances, but they're like, I just feel so lonely. I don't feel like I have real honest friendships with people and I don't know how to get there. Like, I don't know how to build those relationships. Um, So much happens online. People work from home. I just like don't know how to build healthy relationships Uh, or people are looking for mentorship um, or someone to like invest in, to pour into, to mentor. And they don't know how to initiate that either. So I guess my thought is for a lot of us, we might be able to see how we could self-reflect and invite the Lord into uh, digging into these relational dynamics. But for those people who just feel so maxed out, so overwhelmed or so lonely and so isolated, what is a place to start when you just feel like the relationship thing feels completely vexing? Yeah, I think part of what we have to consider with this is the role of boundaries in relationships. And I feel like that's one of those buzzwords, you know, boundaries. What does that really mean? Um, But I look at Jesus and the people that he had around him. And this, we can talk about kind of the spheres or levels of relationships. I'm sure Drew can speak more into that. But I'm just really impressed about Jesus and how he was able to be so intentional with different groups of people. And even though he might have healed two people, one, he might say, take up your mat and come follow me. And the other, it's take up your mat and go home and don't tell anyone. And so he's not telling everyone to come. He's turning people away. Mm-hmm. He's saying things like, eat my, eat my body, you know, eat my, fle- eat my flesh and drink my blood in order for people to walk away and be very perplexed by his teaching and saying, you know, those who have ears mm-hmm. to hear will hear, you know, haven't you guys turned away too? And like, where else can we go as the disciples are speaking with them? And so mm-hmm. he was constantly stealing away to his own secret place pushing people away and saying, go and don't tell anyone, pushing people away and telling them to show themselves to religious leaders. And I think that that's just very interesting how he drew people to himself, but how he also pushed people or sent people away from himself. Mm -hmm. And I think as Christians, we don't have a very keen sense of doing that responsibly, lovingly, Mm -hmm. tactfully. And I think this idea of boundaries and the push and pull of drawing people in and sending people out, um, which I think traditionally as Christians, we refer to this as seasons, like maybe we have a seasonal friend. I don't really like that language as much. It kind of feels like the relationship is always on the cliffhanger. And when they get bored with me, then the Mm -hmm. season's over or something. And there's, you know, what's the actual skin in the game to pursue and to walk alongside versus consumer culture. But I think we do see something with Jesus where we can think about the push and pull of relationship, the attraction and the going of relationship. And I think that that's a really beautiful Mm -hmm. thing to consider as we talk about this idea of prioritizing or what I would call boundaries and the amazing power of letting your yes be yes and your no be no and learning how to say no Mm -hmm. to an opportunity, a relationship, a friendship um, or an event and how to say yes to the things that we're actually called to so that we can live a more fulfilled 
more abundant and more satisfying life because we're saying yes to the things that God's calling us into. And we're walking that out and discerning that within community. But we're also saying no to things that would take us off of mission, right? Individual mission, but also community mission. Like as a part of Church on Boulevard, we have a mission together. We've committed ourselves to one another. And so if other relationships are asking me to do something when I'm supposed to be serving with my church, I should say no, because I want to live on mission Mm -hmm. in a community of people and to prioritize Mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. Uh, I love, Derek, that actually on the document that is attached in the show notes here, um, we're going to reference show notes, I guess, a lot <laughs> in this podcast. But uh, in that self-inventory, in that assessment, one of the areas uh, that, Derek, you led us in this past week was write down the primary relationships and the roles you play in them. Circle one that you really want to like grow in. In other words, mm-hmm. prioritize that one and cross Amen. one off that you might need to start saying no to because there might be a role that we're playing in our life that is, um, again, it's not just which ones are draining and which ones are life-giving because as we've already talked about, there are some things that are draining that it's really important to like push through. If we want to be a person, like you said, Derek, who's committed to a cause and a movement like your church, then church life might be draining sometimes. (laughs) Like there's going to be crazy people at church (laughs) and it's going to be, you're not going to want to go, but your ultimate vision of life is I want to be a person that's immersed in a loving, real, honest community where it's not perfect, but we know each other. And the only way to do that is if I keep showing up. And so when we decide where we want to show up, in other words, prioritize things, and then we see where we need to like stop showing up, then we can create some bandwidth. So to get back to your question, Paige, maybe that's one of our first steps that we do is as we're taking this self-inventory, We might not know exactly, it might even sound really scary to cut a certain relationship off, but maybe what we could do is we could take the baby step of doing the self-inventory, evaluating, and then seeing, okay, this is low priority for me, so the next time I get an invite to something like this and it feels like I can easily say no, like literally, it's like they Mm -hmm. email me or whatever, then I'm going to go ahead and say no in advance because that's going to free up room for this other area that I do prioritize, this other relationship that I do prioritize. In other words, Derek, uh, maybe saying no to some things will free up capacity for the stuff that could help us. And then the other piece that I'll just say that I think is a baby step is find a way to get in person with people, whether it's be part of a church or uh, find a group like adult soccer league or whatever you can do to be with people. Uh, I think that's really huge uh, this day and age. So I think those two things, like from an individual level, prioritizing, thinking through boundaries, committing to some and letting some go. And then also throwing yourself into communal environments uh, sometimes can be really helpful and just pick one, just try one Uh, if you played volleyball in high school and you had fun doing it and you think you can see yourself doing it again, that's great. For me, that terrifies me like organized <laughs> sports. So I'll go to church, you know? But yeah. and you can go and sit in the back, you know? We're talking baby steps here, man. We're not yeah. saying like you have to go and be like, give your life away, sign in blood. Um, yeah. But we are very skeptical in our culture of anything that feels like a cult like mm-hmm. mentality, but we're starved of community and relationships. Yeah. And so we I got think to take steps. T- with this whole, everything that we've been saying for the last couple of minutes, this is why we wanted to go through the process of creating a rule of life because 
sometimes when we feel overwhelmed and we feel like, okay, my life is not, doesn't look the way that I want it to look, but I feel totally overwhelmed and I don't know where to start. It's because we're trying to like move the existing puzzle pieces around in such a way that like it all fits together the right way. But the rule of life is really like just wiping away all of the puzzle pieces and starting from scratch and saying, okay, what if I could start completely over, what would actually be the most important? Let me put those building blocks in place and then see what space and margin is left over and then kind of like cherry pick the things that really matter to, to fill that space um, and sort of build our life vision from the ground up. Yes, and I think people are really going to miss what Paige just said about the radical nature of doing that because I think so often we like micro change, right? We like to change the mm. ship as we're sailing. We don't like the idea of kind of like use a race car analogy, right? You're kind of in the race. But then you have to actually go off of the racetrack to go to a pit crew of people who very expeditiously like, you know, and they kind of re-up your car so that you can keep going. But you're losing time, right, through doing that. And what we're saying with what we're talking about with the rule of life, like, yeah, you might have to get off of the hamster wheel in order to take this assessment Mm -hmm. and to be transformed. And it's not going to be fast, You know, it might actually be quite slow and that pace shift will rub up against a lot of the pressures of the contemporary life that we spoke about with career, the other roles that seem like they're so demanding. But I think that's because a lot of us are living underneath the tyranny of the urgent. We see the fire and the fire needs to be put out now. We're living within a burning house how can I not then take my next pipette of water and kind of squirt it at the embers? But we're saying, no, take a pause and let's get to it. And I think about that with the disciples, you know, they were radically encountered with Jesus when he said, come and follow me, right? They're out there. They're doing the rat race of I'm a fisherman. My dad is a fisherman. And Jesus comes up to them and says, hey, leave your dad in the boat. You know, like, oh, no, we have this funeral to attend. Jesus is like, no, let the dead Mm -hmm. bury their own dead. As for you, you're going to stop whatever it is. We're going to disrupt this thing and you're going to come and you're going to follow after me. And as I think about kind of the essential 12 who are following Jesus, I don't see friendship there. When I'm looking and reading over the life of Jesus in the Gospels, and I'm reading about the sons of thunder, James and John, and I'm reading about all these different guys with the cool names, they don't seem like they like each other very much. They're always squabbling. They're always backbiting. They're always jockeying for position and seeing who among us is going to be the greatest you know, because we're following General mm-hmm. Jesus into Jerusalem. And so which one of mm. us is going to be at his left? Which one of us is going to be at his right as he comes into his um, glory? And it's really not until their whole self-conception, right, the bottom falls out, that they're able to see how little they have by trusting in themselves and that they really have a much deeper need that they really get fulfilled with on the other side of the cross. 
because when Jesus rises and he says, it's better for me to go and he sends the spirit as we see on the day of Pentecost in the book of Acts, that seems to change everything. And now these guys who could not do life together very well during the three years of Jesus's ministry are now turning the world upside down. They're founding churches, Mm -hmm. they're traveling they're building law, they're holding councils, they're defining the canon, they're writing scripture. None of them were able to write scripture before the cross, but now the Holy Spirit is sent to them and dwelling in them so richly that it actually enriches their community and their ability to be friends with each other on mission. And that's such a beautiful, powerful thing to see. And I don't think people will hear that from what Paige saying. It's radical, slow transformation, not just the incremental compartmentalized transformation that we get so used to with kind of work-life balance goal setting. Mm, So good. Yeah, we aren't calling, God doesn't call us to a life of balance. He calls us to a life of passion and purpose in Christ. And that means that at times we're going to have to do something radical. And right now the radical shift might be slowing down. Uh, Byung-Chul Han is a Korean philosopher. Uh, He's at the University of Berlin right now, and he's writing a lot about cultural, you know, sociology type things, uh, social understanding and the underpinnings of our cultural moment. And one thing that he talks about is he says, because of the digital age, we've lost a sense of time. Everything is so instantaneous. And we feel like as humans, we have to keep up with the machines if we're going to have any value in the world. And so Hmm. we're in a sense being trained by machines to just go, 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 go. And efficiency becomes the value. And sometimes the most painful thing to do can be to step back from social media for a week turn off the devices, talk with your spouse or your best friend or a loved one, really slow down. And it's going to feel wrong. Like, And you have to like embrace how wrong it feels. And I think this is a lot of people's barrier uh, to Jesus is uh, we forget that like, even when we come to Jesus, even when he enters our life radically and saves us, um, we still have all the habits and patterns that have been in our life before we knew Jesus. And so there's some, there are some pain points in learning how to reset. But what we're saying is if, uh, if you do that, there's an experience on the other side. Enough of us have gone just far enough into the other side to say, oh my goodness, there's so much freedom and not freedom of options and choices, but actual freedom where you suddenly are not so caught up in yourself, which is actually quite confining and all the options that you could choose from in the world, that's actually quite confining, but you're actually free to go pursue what's good and loving um, in the world and consider others. And uh, so as I think about the other side of the cross, I love that phrase, Derek, the other side of the cross. What that tells me is what happened to those guys on the other side of the cross is they started uh, suddenly because of what Jesus had done, because he had died and risen again. And we call this the gospel in Christianity, the good news of Jesus that, um, that we've been redeemed to God, or that's oversimplification, but it's kind of in a nutshell right there. What that means, the implications of that are massive for our roles and relationships, because what it means is Jesus had to die for us <laughs> to get to the other side. For those guys to end up having these relationships, a death had to take place from their like 
Lord and Savior. What that means is they were in a bad enough position. It was bad enough off that God had to die for them. So what? how does that apply? Uh, Tim Keller talks about this in a lot of his messages and books, but he says that means we then no longer live with a sense of superiority to others. We live our life knowing that God had to die for me and he had to die for them. So when we are, have a tendency to not want to forgive someone or to build up that resentment from being the funny guy that's annoyed that everybody else just assumes I got to be the funny guy in the group, well, we can pause for a second and say, wait a second, Christ died for them just as much as yes. Christ died for me. And I suddenly am humbled by that. But then there's another great power to the gospel. It's always in paradox. There's always attention to the gospel. And the flip side of... I was so bad that Christ had to die for me is that I am so valuable, so treasured, so worthy that God came and died for me. So I now have a self-worth and self-confidence that can ride through the vicissitudes, the ups and downs of my life circumstances. So now my roles and relationships aren't predicated on whether I'm having a good or bad day. I now feel like I have a sense of self-worth because I am a child of God and he loves me so I can go love this person. So it's simultaneous. It's I'm no better than anybody else, but also there's no room for self-loathing or self-hatred in the Christian tradition if you really understand the gospel. This brings us uh, to perfectly to Colossians 3, 13 through 14, uh, which says, bear with each other and forgive one another. Another translation says, make allowance for one another's faults, which I love that phrasing. Um, If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. So I love that because the gospel is in there, you know, like forgive as the Lord forgave you and live all these things out of love, which we cannot do without the power of the Holy Spirit through Jesus Christ. Um, But when we are able to live out of that love and out of that forgiveness, we can literally make space for one another's shortcomings, knowing that they're also gonna Mm -hmm. make space for ours. And that's the only way that this whole thing comes together in unity. Amen. I think a lot of us have things that we lean on, whether it's for identity or to kind of keep us going in life for self-care or to feel affirmation. You know, a lot of us are pretty committed to a routine of dieting or exercising or whatever these things are, and they're not bad. But I think about the same type of principle that you said about working for love or from love. And I think it's that same way. I just had a vision of like a respirator, right? A lot of people are doing their hobbies or their kind of quiet time on a respirator. They're not really living their life in the most self-actualizing sense. And I think that's what you're talking about when you're talking about freedom. You're actually free Mm. to work out. You're actually free to eat the foods that are most healthy for you instead of being so dependent on that because it's really a crutch or a mask or a mechanism that's facilitating something else, some other level of affirmation, some other longing or yearning that we have. And so I think it's so beautiful that we have that security in Christ and in his love because it's finished and that we get to live into these wonderful gifts of earth, whatever those are for you, in a way that is you know from a place of love and acceptance and in community and that type of thing with all of our weaknesses and flaws and imperfections. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's like to use your analogy, it's like 
for those of us who are Christians listening to this podcast, but even for those who know Christians or have a sense of the Christian tradition and maybe have felt like, oh my gosh, this is all it is. I guess I like, I prayed the prayer and I was saved or whatever the language that you use is, but like I'm going to heaven or whatever. That's almost to your analogy, Derek, like we've been given the gym membership. We don't have to pay for it. Like (laughs) we don't have to earn it. We're just given it. But if we never go and scan that tag and walk in, then we don't get the fullness of the experience that God has offered for us because he didn't just, he didn't just want to like give us the, the tag to like get into the gym and give us the membership. He wants to meet us at the gym and grow with us there, you know, and even better than that, he wants to meet us on our way to the gym and our way home and like, and, and to apply, like to strengthen the muscles to grow. But we all know that in that process, there's going to be pain. There's going to be slow growth. We're going to have to prioritize it. I think that's a really helpful illustration that like what we see on the other side of the cross is that the gym membership's covered. But but come, like work out with me cuz that's where you're going to really experience your own self-actualization, your own power, your own sense of power. Yeah. So he wants that for <laughs> us. Good, the importance of crafting a rule of life for everybody who's engaging with us uh this far is that we want to live our lives intentionally with God and we want to flourish. We want to live that abundant life that Jesus talks about. And what Derek Page and myself are saying on this podcast, along with millions of others in the tradition of church history, is that that life is actually possible here and now. You can live into abundance here and now. It just might not look like... Uh, the type of wealth abundance that our culture is telling us about, it could. But more than that, we're talking about that deep inner abundance, a sense of peace, love, joy that uh, permeates our life. That's what we're living towards. And so if you want to take this journey with us, we'd encourage you check out, take the self-inventory in the show notes, uh, check out some of the resources there, engage them, and then tune in as we go through the podcast. Send us emails at cob at churchonblvd.com. If you have questions or thoughts um, as you're going through the process, we would love to engage with you personally there. Or come join us uh, on a Sunday at church. We meet at the Midas Car Shop on Arthur Ashe Boulevard in Richmond, Virginia. Um, And uh, we do that at 10 a.m. on Sundays. So come join us. Um, We're just so grateful that you guys would tune in. And Paige, Derek, any closing thoughts? Just thanks. Hopefully see you soon, face-to-face. Yes. Even better. Thanks for tuning in to the Church on Boulevard Sermons podcast. You can find out more about Church on Boulevard by going to www.churchonblvd.com.